0: The Spot Track podcast talking sports contracts, the salary cap and business of sports.
1: Today's edition of the Spot Track podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com/spottrack. S P O T R A C get yourself 40 percent off that first year subscription. Download the app, personalize it, tell them who you like. You'll get ad-free exclusive content at your fingertips multiple times throughout the day. Theathletic.com/spottrack get you started. We are also provided by Dynasty Owner It's time for fantasy football, especially dynasty football, the 12-month fantasy season. Real NFL salaries updated today. We're going to reference Minka Fitzpatrick's big pay raise in just a few minutes here. That's the price to pay if you uh, are playing with the real deal. What was once uh, just a couple million dollars is now $18.4 million, and you have to make that transaction on your dynasty roster. Will you accept the pay raise or send him on the trade block or even packing at that price tag? DynastyOwner.com. Get you started. Check out all the bells and whistles and customizations with real NFL salaries. That's DynastyOwner.com. My name is Mike Cianetti. Happy Wednesday. It's a bit of an NFL talk up front here and then lots of baseball. Cousin Dan and I assess the divisional stuff in terms of the trade deadline and some of the injuries and some of the contracts and how it all kind of molds together into what can be a fun June, fun July, certainly down the stretch for some of these contending teams who are Fringe contenders right now, and then back end of the show, Brit Caroli from the Athletic, one of the senior MLB writers for the Athletic, talks Washington Nationals with me. I've been reluctant to do this, especially in terms of Juan Soto, but it's getting interesting because not only are they bad, they're epically bad. Steven Strasburg took a, a cup of coffee on the mound and is back on the IL, where he has been for most of the past two seasons since signing that massive contract extension. They can't pitch. There is some uh, some youth in that talent box. But where is this team going? And especially in reference to Juan Soto and what could be $400 million, will it, will it be to stay or will it be to go? That's Britt Jurelli from The Athletic with me at the back end of the show. As I mentioned, let's talk a little NFL here. Micah Fitzpatrick gets four years and a little over $73 million, basically $18.41 million per year, uh, which, you know, is... I, I don't care so much about that's not the uh the way to rank a contract in the NFL because it's so fluid there's so many moving parts. so what are we talking about in terms of guarantees? I had the uh, opportunity to speak to his agent shortly after the the contract was announced, and uh while I didn't get the full full breakdown because that's still t b d to some degree, the guaranteed structure is official it's thirty six million fully guaranteed signing all of that over the next two seasons so while you're gonna see five years and uh eighty four million total here. When the contract is all said and done and written out, two for thirty-six. The uh, the big difference there, while that's not you know the biggest number in the world, and I'll rank that in a second. It's that includes a signing bonus, his twenty twenty two salary and his twenty twenty three salary. Which anybody who follows this stuff would say, yeah, that's pretty standard stuff, Mike. Why are you even talking about this? Well, Pittsburgh hasn't done this for decades and decades and decades. The Pittsburgh Steelers have been a signing bonus only possibly like a a first year roster bonus guarantee. And that's it. They did not guarantee base salaries. It was kind of their protocol. They didn't do it for Ben Roethlisberger. They didn't do it for Antonio Brown. They certainly didn't do it for Le'Veon Bell. They did do it for TJ Watt. That was kind of like the uh, the pop the cherry moment here with the Pittsburgh Steelers and a more traditional guaranteed structure on these contracts. So TJ Watt gets that guarantee. In fact, he got three salaries fully guaranteed at signing along with the signing bonus. And uh, Micah Fitzpatrick gets to follow suit. He becomes contract number two under Pittsburgh to have base salaries fully guaranteed at signing. Like I said, this year, next year, and that signing bonus totals $36 million fully guaranteed. We'll get more of that breakdown ASAP, but for, for all intents, that 36 is the number to talk about here. If we're looking at active safety contracts, it's currently third so while the 18.41 million per year is first and that'll be the the number that many of these people hang their hats on and it's 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 there it's big and for sure it's eight, at least 18 million a year for the next two seasons based on that guarantee structure the 36 over two years is third and jamal adams gets 38 million in practical guarantees 21 at signing marcus williams gets 32 at signing 37 practical and like I said, Minka gets 36 at signing, 36 practical. If we're talking about the guarantees at signing, though, the fully upfront guarantee, Minka's 36 is by far the most in, in NFL history. And that's the number that should be referenced out there. It's just about 4 million more than Justin Simmons got at signing, which was 32.1 million. So, in that regard, this is truly an historic contract. The structure of it based on Pittsburgh's monikers makes it historic. The 18.41 makes it historic. And by the way, if this is a player you didn't think was going to go this route, all you have to look at is how they got him. Because this is Jamal Adams. This is Jalen Ramsey 2.0, which is they acquired multiple first-round picks from, from Miami. A, a boatload of picks kind of going both ways here. It was a blockbuster trade at the time. And by the way, it was September sixteenth, two 2019 when this happened. So in season this move happened. Super rare. And uh, just about three years later, two and a half years later, here we are with four years, $73.6 million, $36 million fully guaranteed signing. How can we get a contract? One more NFL note, because it's uh, it's the soup du jour. It has been for quite a while, and it's really ramping up steam here. This Baker Mayfield stuff is fascinating in its own right. But the fact that there's now at least resurrected talks between Carolina and Cleveland, to me, makes it even more interesting because, and I feel like this was buried for, for many, many months here. Everybody knew it, but we've kind of forgot to talk about it. Sam Darnold is in the exact same boat. Now, there's not a rift between Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers like there certainly is with Cleveland and Baker Mayfield, but contractually speaking, $18.8 million fully guaranteed no matter what happens here. And I kind of threw out the, uh, you know, the lazy text or tweet saying, I'm not sure this guy is going to play football this year, but he's certainly getting $18.8 million regardless, right? If he gets released, if they split that up and they trade him to Seattle, whatever happens here, he's making that money. So the fact that he's kind of been on the back burner of this conversation, but now Carolina may be at the forefront of Baker Mayfield again. It's fascinating. Are they just going to keep both? Is this this just going to be 36 million this year for those two quarterbacks? And maybe it becomes a battle of former number one number number two picks here possibly i guess that's there's worse ways for carolina to try to find their next quarterback but what happens here you know maybe seattle gets involved maybe houston gets involved i'm not even sure who else would would consider that now so late in the game but it's uh it's fascinating to me that they're they appear to be the team that might stick their neck out here for some version of a split baker mayfield contract if we fast forward to the November 1 trade deadline, which the NFL announced that's when it will be. And uh, my assumptions were kind of correct saying late October was when this thing was going to split up. If we take that 18.8 million for Baker, for Sam and we say, all right, what if they got traded then? What if it was this was a trade deadline move? What we're talking about is about 8.4 million staying with Cleveland and 10 in change going to the new team. It doesn't sound like that kind of split Is going to work for a trade right now? Should it though? Should that be how this works? Should a new team take Baker on for ten million right now and just say, "Look, let's treat this as if this this were a trade deadline acquisition. Uh, You take about eight million. We'll take about ten million. We'll call it a day. We'll throw in a you know a mid round pick and go from there." It sounds to me like the Carolinas of the world are looking to get Baker at four to five million and and make Cleveland take on fourteen million of this, which would mean, by the way. Sixty million attached to Baker slash Deshaun Watson for 2022, because as we all know, there's 46 million attached to Deshaun Watson this year and every year of those five of those five years ahead of him. So it's an awful lot of cash to to chew off here for two quarterbacks who may not be playing football for them, but that appears to be what many of these teams in on Baker are looking to do: get this thing down to four or five million, let Cleveland eat the rest of this, and we go from there. I just wonder if at the end of the day, somebody throws maybe a third round pick in here and says, all right, we'll take 10, you take eight, and let's go from there. And if it's Carolina, then what happens, right? Does Carolina then get into a situation with Sam Darnold, similar to what Cleveland just got themselves into with Baker Mayfield, which is kind of putting the cart before the horse saying, all right, here's our new quarterback. What about the old one? Because we gave up significant draft capital and exercised this fifth year option on Sam Darnold. And he's sitting here now with nothing to do versus trying to get a you know a competition to win this job. Like I said, there are worse scenarios for Carolina who really have had so much trouble finding that QB1. But it seems like we could be headed down that direction. So it's, uh, buyer beware here over the next couple of weeks on the whole situation with quarterback uh, quarterback one for Darnold or quarterback one for potentially Baker Mayfield. All right, let's talk uh, some Major League Baseball with Dan Soren. All right, Dan Solman is here. That means baseball, generally speaking. It's uh, past the quarter poll. We've had you on a lot, and uh, you've contributed quite a bit to the newsletter as well in terms of the divisional races and how to keep track of those and how to maybe project those from a betting and value standpoint. Uh, you kind of buzzed my, uh, my tower this week to say, hey, there's some movement happening here that we should probably talk about. Is it at the top of the division, or do you think it's more of the, uh, the middle ground maybe starting to trickle up a little bit?
0: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's sort of that um, second layer we've been talking about, sort of uh, finally putting it together and um, kind of making some of these in, uh, these divisions interesting. When only a couple weeks ago, it, it there wasn't a whole lot. It, it looked like there could, there could be a lot of separation that um, <clears throat> that would get things out of hand really early in the season here. So,
1: how much do the injuries so far uh, impact, at least what you're doing or what you're watching or the numbers that you're kind of adjudicating here?
0: Yeah. Uh, I'd say it's got a pretty massive effect, um, on, for instance, like yeah, Tampa,
1: I, Dan, like Tampa just had two massive, you know, they came in with the Glasnow injury. The Kittridge injury is big. Now, um, uh, you know, that pitching is kind of their bread and butter, even though they manipulated a little bit, do you think that's a situation where they may slip here? And is that a, is that a window for Boston?
0: Yeah. Tampa Bay specifically could. It, they could definitely slip, but I, overall, uh, this is where you're going to find teams that draft and develop talent, Bingo. um, that they're going to show off their depth, um, throughout the season here. Right. So that's I Cleveland. Mean, very right? few In teams, a nutshell,
1: that's gotta be Cleveland for you. That's gotta be who else? Uh, Milwaukee. I mean, really, so really Houston. It, it's <laughs>
0: it's kind of your, it's kind of your frequent flyers, like the giants, the Dodgers, yeah. um, the, the Yankees, the rays, it, the guardians. Yeah. Same thing. Um, Th- these teams that uh, they just have depth throughout their organization injuries are going to hit all these teams at some point. Um, it's a long year. We all know that. So, uh, whatever team can weather the storm, the best, it, w- you know, uh, it, they're going to come out on top. So we're, we're going to, with the injuries, th- that's, what's really changed a lot of this, I think early. So,
1: okay. All right. So give me a couple teams. Let's throw some names out there and I'm sure we'll have some discussions based on it.
0: so, I think the easiest place to start is probably the NL central with, um, you know, Milwaukee and St. Louis at this point, I I think you can kind of just like separate the rest of that division there that, that it's basically they're all sellers. They'll be rebuilding, but suddenly, um, you know, we've been writing about this one in, in the weekly piece in the newsletter, uh, how Milwaukee has been pretty heavily favored most of the year. Um, But literally, like you just said, Injuries have hit them, mm-hmm. and um, I, early in the year, before our preseason piece, we had talked quite a bit mm-hmm. about Milwaukee. Um, that we loved the rotation, loved the bullpen, but did have concerns about their offense, and um, that's sort of been the, the the problem here over this stretch that we've seen. Um, two starters went down. Freddie Peralta is on the sixty-day DL. He's going to be out um, the majority of the year. Brandon Woodruff had, a, I believe, an ankle injury. Yeah. But now while on the IL is having an arm issue, so he's there's a lot of uncertainty there. So suddenly their depth is really being tested, whereas, um, you know, the strength of that team is is sort of been gutted at the for the time being. So, um, it's yeah,
1: really that, fascinating that's fascinating because I love the team. I'm able to watch them actually right now against my Mets. So I'm seeing you're right. It's a depleted roster. Unfortunately, you can see them struggling to get out of the fifth inning from a starter perspective. There's no question they're going to slip here. They're they're going to take a bit of a hit here. Is it enough to bet somebody else? Or are you, do you think, Dan, are you going to swing this back and say, look, they may be able to weather this storm and they make it some value here for you to bet.
0: Exactly. So, I mean, in the short term, it's never going to be popular as you see everything kind of crumbling around Milwaukee and um, St. Louis overtaking them and having, I think, a half game lead at the time that we're um, talking about this. But that's exactly in the betting market at least where you can maybe grab some value if you believe in Milwaukee long term um, I do like the organization as a whole I think David Stearns does a great job there is depth there um they're missing they're sort of lacking like that elite high-end talent but if they can get that pitching staff straightened out with the injuries um, I, I still I still overall do like Milwaukee even though at the at the current current time it's probably not a super popular opinion and and that is sort of coupled with the fact that I just, I just still don't believe in St. Louis. I don't trust the pitching, um, which again, it's unpopular in the current moment because Jack Flaherty is about to come back. Um, But I I just have concerns about the rotation, concerns about the bullpen. Um, And I mean, I do love the front half of that offense, but Paul Goldschmidt is just on another world right now. And if that doesn't continue all year um, you know, it, it, what's the feasibility of them going continuing at this rate right so i i still- i still like Milwaukee long term, but i understand um you know things have changed a lot in the last couple of weeks, so I might be going down with the ship on that. I don't know what do you think
1: I'm laughing because not only is Flaherty back today, but michaelis just went eight and two thirds on a no hitter last night, so i know so it's I a know. weird time to be talking down the the cardinals rotation, but i'm I'm with you look, it's not that I don't love those players i think they could have. One of the better rotations than all of baseball. They can't stay healthy. They can't stay consistently healthy in any regard. They've been this this start them as a reliever, then drive them into the rotation process that they have tried to do for the past decade has failed. And they continue to do it. And they continue to burn out arms doing this. So I I I don't know. I, I'm I'm jaded with that whole situation, even though I, I love the team. I love the players. You know how much I love Arenado and Goldschmidt. Those are two of my longtime fantasy, you know, bromances right there. But I love Milwaukee just as much. I came into this season, I think you and I bat, butted heads on this one a little bit. I think Milwaukee was much higher on my list than yours. So my return question to you is this. Let's say Peralta's long-term, he is. He, he may not be back. And let's say there's a major setback here with Woodruff, who's considered to be the ace in this roster, with Corbin, Corbin Burns as the 1A. Do they have enough ammo here to go and get somebody? Because I know their farm system isn't, you know, a top twenty here. They've been they've been depleted now after a couple of moves for Adamas and players like that over the couple last couple of years. Do they have MLB talent that can get them a starting pitcher to maybe at least uh, hold the fort down through the next couple of months?
0: Yeah, the area we've sort of identified is they do have plenty of outfield depth. Um, uh, outfield prospects specifically five of their top eight prospects are outfielders so you would have to think um if they're trying to plug a hole without depleting their current roster a lot i think that's that's the route
1: they would probably go all right let's switch divisions what else you got for me
0: <clears throat> um i mean we let, let's look at the mets um the sure. the mets and the braves things have gotten pretty interesting there um not only i i don't even want to say the mets have stumbled they've just kind of like held serve and, um, the Braves and the Phillies have both went on sort of a tear here this week. So, um,
1: it's it 13 the in a row considered a tear. I think it's ridiculous.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, you're right. The mess went out West, which is never easy. Uh, Dodgers, Padres angels, they split it five and five. That's probably about as good as you can expect to go out there and do right now, especially with two aces out. And they had a Pete Alonso injury scare there for a couple of days as well. So I agree with your terminology of weathering the storm, you know, they still got a five game lead here, but what does it mean for the Braves? And I guess I have to put the Phillies in this conversation too, because they're eight and two over the last 10. They're terribly defensively. I mean, they are losing games because of defense. Are are either of these two teams legit competition for the Mets or down the stretch, or do you think they're just going to kind of come back to to the surface eventually here?
0: Yeah. The, the the Phillies, I think this is just like them playing on another level, and um, they did have a pretty easy stretch. They they faced like I think Miami, Milwaukee, both in the midst of yeah, Washington. losing streaks. Yeah, Washington as well. So, um, I, I mean, credit where credits due. They won the games, but um, I, you know there that might be a little bit deceiving in terms of uh, from that perspective. So I, I I still think I have a ton of concerns about Philly. Again, offense is pretty good. They can't. They can't stop anything defensively.
1: Um, they're 31 and 31 and, right now, Dan. That's exactly what I expect them to be based on how they're constructed. Yeah, exactly. they have their right. streaks I mean, up and down, and they're an 82-win t- team from here, an 81-win team from here.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it can be left at that. That's that's pretty much it. There, so. Yes,
1: but the Braves, um, are they legit? I, I mean, they've obviously shook their roster up a little bit last year. Is the pitching there? Do they think this is more of a long-term thing? Are they going to be neck and neck with the Mets here when we, when it gets down to the to business here?
0: Yeah. I hate to like parse it in terms of injuries, but from my perspective, if, if the DeGrom, sorry, let me specifically, the Scherzer injury does not linger. And if they can get DeGrom back, I think the Mets easily win this division, right? Going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if not, I think there, the door is open for, for Atlanta. If those two players miss a bunch of time, I mean, I still do think the Mets ultimately come out on top here, but the Atlanta offense is as good as any in the NL. And I know they lost to the Ozzie Albies, but they do have some nice, <clears throat> excuse me, some nice depth in the rotation. Their bullpen is, is decent. Um, I, I think that they can give the Mets a run for their money. If the Mets are missing, um, you know, DeGrom and Scherzer.
1: Dansby Sponson's had a bit of a, uh, you know, a resurrection here. After what was a quieter last year, he, wasn't, he was more of a, a role player than really one of the star players. He's kind of uh, been juxtaposed into a legit lineup option here. And he's, he's, that, he's that shortstop with an expiring contract that we've been talking about last year and now again this year, Dan. Does it get to a point where they just pay this guy? Or do you think they're going to kind of play their cards like they did with Freddie Freeman and let things kind of uh, un- unfold in the offseason?
0: Honestly, I, I'm really excited to start diving into this with you a little bit. I, we, I know we have some pieces around this. I think, I think Swanson is one of the more interesting players we're going to encounter this off season. Um, people are going to be shocked by his number. I think, yeah. um, like the def I, I, the defensive numbers are there. The offensive numbers have been there this year. He's kind of been, you know, injected into this prime lineup spot now with some injuries. Um, I, I think I, I to answer your question on if they pay him or not, I'm, I'm really not sure, but I do think he's going to get paid this year. I, I just don't know whether it's Atlanta, but I do, I do think he, is, he has positioned himself for a nice deal.
1: Former number one overall pick by Arizona. Nuts, right? This is one of those guys that was essentially a, a mini bust coming out of the gate and switched teams. And now the past six years has only gotten better and better and better and better. He's been a plus two war. Each of the past two seasons, and he's on that path again this year, Dan, and and that's that's hard to do when you got big bats around you. You know what I mean? Like, you you've, you've got to have stretches where, like he's in right now, where you are the best player in your team, and he's not going to be that all year long. But I think there's some real value here. I think I think there's a real solid fit to Dansby Swanson in the Atlanta Braves. So while many teams I think will say, ah, we're just going to move on to something a little bit cheaper, a little bit less sexy, just because we can with the shortstop market. I wonder if there's uh, more internal discussions about, you know, this guy's only 28. We've got a nice core with Matt Olson now next to him. I I just wonder if this gets to an an in-season extension so they can avoid the Freddie Freeman stuff all over again, because that was ugly, of course.
0: Yeah, for sure. There's a lot. There's definitely a lot going on here. Um, The Braves were rumored in on Carlos Correa last year, so so there's some, I mean, that at least is a Cause for pause, in my opinion, just to, you know, they obviously had interest in a different shortstop. Now, did this year change things? Was that just interest kicking the tires? Who you know knows? what? It's, I, I don't it's an excellent
1: point, Dan. You you can't extend Swanson until you know what happens with Correa and Trey Turner. Because if those guys become available, and it's there's a there's a chance that both those guys become available, you got to at least be in on that conversation, right? If you're Atlanta
0: right yeah and i'm and i'm coming from the perspective too like he's he's been in atlanta and he's he's consistently in the bottom third of their order it's not like they've like valued him as like a we need you in the top of our lineup that sure. there's just there's just enough there's enough ingredients there that makes me think that maybe they don't love him as much as we like other people might love him or value him as a player um Now that could totally have changed this year. If he just, you know, he, he started terrible. His like strikeout streak was something ridiculous. I don't have it on hand, but he's numbers. Now he's set. He's second in war among qualifying shortstops and that's on the heels of an awful first month. So he's just been red hot here. Um, Yeah. I like him long-term. There's a, there's, there is a lot going on here though. He has the same agent as Freddie Freeman as well. So if there's anything lingering from there, I, I mean, I don't know what to think here, uh, but he's batting he, second I think he behind Acuna right
1: now, man. He's he's in between Acuna and Riley in this order right now. So there's some real uh, internal value for this guy happening, right? Maybe, maybe more appreciation than ever in, in a contract year. So it's certainly good news for him. Can we just put this in pencil, though? Is he the starting shortstop for the Cardinals next year? <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's funny you say that. Yeah, that's a, that's like kind of like a, a natural landing spot in my head. Like people keep connecting Bogarts there, but I think that's like a sneaky. Yeah. Dansby Swanson uh,
1: spot. All right. So the Braves will contend, but we've, we still think the Mets will get this thing done in the NL East. Uh, Houston's so far up in that NL West, but can we talk Angels a little bit here? Because the Texas Rangers have now surpassed them. The Angels are now third in this division. We know they've fired their manager. Uh, the Trout stuff's been weird. He's been in and out a bit after a hit by pitch. Otani is, you know, 80% of Otani over the past couple of seasons, but he's, he's going to be just fine at the end of the day. What what else is going on with this lineup that uh, that that they're slipping so much, Dan?
0: <laughs> Honestly, and, I and, don't know. And
1: is it is it fixable? And should they be in this betting conversation? Maybe for a wild yeah. card spot versus the division, because I think Houston really is is pulling away here.
0: Right. Yeah, it's Houston by a mile, and the other two are just fighting. I mean, perhaps the Angels still are are going to be in contention for a wild card spot, but I'm not even sure at this point. Um, It definitely does feel like a a purgatory year here where they're, they're too far away to really go for it. And they're too good to really just totally gut it. Um, But who knows, maybe they, I I mean, maybe the Joe Madden thing was the first uh, piece of the turnover there. I, I, I really don't know, but I don't think they're in contention for the division. Um, I do think they're better than we've seen over the last two weeks though. I, I mean, they were one of the best teams to start the year they basically lost for two straight weeks and they're still a 500 team. So if you want to look at it from that perspective, they could easily go, you know, 10 and four over the next two weeks and, and look a lot better than they do, you know, presently. So, um, it's also yeah, been Jays,
1: Yankees, Phillies, Mets, and now Dodgers. I mean, I, I mean, could you ask for harder opponents right now? So to, you know, to have a bad stretch with that schedule, maybe we got to just pause a little bit here. It's maybe just their their monster schedule stretch here. So you're right. They're probably too far back to catch up, but I don't think they're going to shake up this roster. I'm not sure they even can.
0: No, that's fair. That's fair. I, I mean, I, I guess I'm just coming from like selling off some veteran um, pieces on expiring contracts if it comes to that. But um, yeah, I don't think we're like going to see any major, major Mike Trout, Shohei Ohtani trains or anything crazy like
1: that, so tell me why I shouldn't go all in on your Cleveland guardians, Dan, from a divisional standpoint, from an MVP standpoint with Jose Ramirez, uh, for, from a buyer standpoint, if I'm a team looking to sell a piece, just feels like they've been hanging around all year. They've been letting Chicago become Chicago. They've been sort of letting Minnesota fall back into, into the surface a little bit, which they've done. feels like they're ready to pounce. Am I incorrect?
0: No, no, I, I totally agree. I think it's starting to, we we've talked about this the last few weeks here too. Um, how they're they're a team to watch. At one point, they were ten to one. They were all the way down to ten to one to win this division. Um, the White Sox are just floundering, and I don't even mean that from like a roster perspective. I really like their team, but um, it, it, the Tony Larusa factor is just—it it seems like they just kind of can't get out of their own way a lot of times. Um, and they have had some injuries, so um, mm-hmm. yeah, Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota, I could go one way or another. I, I don't, I don't really know. How they improve a ton, um, but I think they're gonna be competitive all year. I just I think they're playing a little bit, a bit above their heads right now. you know that pitching yeah. staff doesn't like wow me by any means. so you know putting the, those pieces together, those three are the teams that are in it. Um, I think Cleveland could definitely overpass them. I mean, Francona always has that team in it. Um, they have depth throughout their organization. they have a number of young prospects who could jump in if there are injuries. Um, they've already had some Oscar Gonzalez being one. Um, and you know, they have Jose Ramirez who is just absolutely on fire right now. So,
1: yeah, and you could say there's a bit of a Goldschmidt situation there where he will come back to earth a little bit, but they have maybe one or two starters in that rotation who I think were banked on to have a lot better production than they've had and will figure out and write that ship over the next couple of months as well. So, you know, if they're 18th and pitching right now in terms of on base percentage, I think that's top 15 easily over the next couple of weeks. Chicago has dipped and dipped and dipped. They're they're into the the 20s Dan in terms of team pitching right now. That's been that's a problem because that's a lineup loaded with young talent in terms of home run power and production and uh they paid a lot of money for that pitching and it has not banked. They've they've DFA Dales They've done a lot of bad things here unfortunately. And uh that seems to be their Achilles heel right now. Can they fix that maybe? But I I bet on Cleveland here all day for sure.
0: Yeah, so t- well, we can kind of connect these two points to here. Um, the the I really like the one of sorry another team from this division to jump into one of those wild card spots. Okay. I think a lot of publicity is going around like four teams from the AL East making the wild card. Um, I really think you could see two come out of the Central with one being Cleveland, even if they don't win the division there. But um, and I say that because. <laughs> the White Sox and that whole division has, you know, any of the contending teams in that division have an easy schedule down the stretch. Um, the White Sox have the easiest schedule in the entire league. Um, and Cleveland and Minnesota will both be just beating up on Detroit and Kansas city. Whereas Boston, the Yankees, the Rays and the Blue Jays are all going to be. It's
1: a great point um, because the end of the year schedule is basically all divisional, correct?
0: Uh, a lot of it. Yeah. I, um, I think the Yankees Red Sox have like most of their right. their schedule ahead of them. So, um, yeah, I, I, a lot of talk has been about the ALEs and how good they are and they are good. But at the same time, they're going to beat up on each other. And that probably leaves the door open for, um, you know, maybe one of those more underwhelming teams in the central to sneak into that
1: spot. By the way, I misspoke. Guardians are seventh in pitching on base percentage against Minnesota's 15th. Chicago's 21st. So if, if that's something you care about, and I do, especially this time of year, and like I said, I think Cleveland can even improve that based on some of those starters picking up speed a little bit. That, that's where you want to be. You want to be keeping people off base. You want to you reduce your runs. The run differential looks good for Cleveland, and Minnesota's had luck with that as well lately, but not Chicago. So I, I, consider, this, I consider them still sliding downward, not upward. So if you're looking for a, a number two seed to bet in any division, Cleveland's got to be there, even though the value has probably slipped a little bit with Jose's run recently. Anybody else sitting there that you should be pouncing on, or at least considering pouncing on right now? What about that Nos? Is it is it touchable? It's close. Oh man, it's, to- so, it's close.
0: Yeah, it's really hard because I mean the Giants too. They were to- they were seventeen to one as of last week, and now they're three games. They're now they're three games back. Um, you know, from the Dodgers and the Padres are tied with the Dodgers, so um, that's a that that division is totally wide open. Now, again, as we've said, I still think depth wins out. Um, the Dodgers are, they, they haven't even had some of their, their young guys have to (laughs) enter the lineup at this point. So I still want to say the Dodgers are the favorite. Um, if the betting line slips at all there, I will, I will jump on that. Even though I do have some shares of the Padres in different, um, variations of bets and the giants, I do like all those, all three of those teams. And I legitimately think any one of them um, could win it. I do like the Dodgers, obviously like everybody else in the world. So is,
1: is anything about San Diego regarding Tatis coming back or, or with the recent news, do you think like that may not happen anyway? And did the odds change based on the recent news that Tatis had a major setback here?
0: Yeah, I, I guess I've been more down on them despite them hanging with the Dodgers all year, because I just don't expect anything from Tatis right now. If you, if you get like classic Tatis, uh, classic, he's, he had a good year and a half. You know what I mean? though. If you, if he returns to that level, I, it, they're outperforming my expectations. Right. But I just, I guess I am not ready to assume that he would return from an injury like that and play a meaningful full role in that lineup. So I've been more down on them. And I, 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 the betting market hasn't changed a ton based on the top, the
1: yet. So I think you're right. I think it was, I think early money on San Diego was probably correct. You have to go San Francisco here. You have to. And the Walker Bueller injury, Dan puts even more emphasis behind that, right? Because San Francisco has pitching depth. They have the ammo to go and get a bat. And boy, but I'd love to see Juan Soto in that, you know, and become the next iteration of Barry Bonds. But, uh, you know, they're going to go smaller than that. But they have that kind of ammo to go and get some kind of bat to go with this rotation and maybe even a reliever as well. I I think they can make the big push. I think they can be the Braves of last year. Whereas they get two to three players named guys, not huge superstars, but named guys that can have the impact that it takes to get through October. And I'd be be betting them not just for division then, but maybe even more because of what they have, what they did last off season, what they can do at this deadline and how the rest of this division is shaking out. I think that they may be able to really capitalize on some things here.
0: Yeah. And that's a front office that is creative and, you know, has a vision, if you will, and they know exactly the kind of player they want to target. Um, they have plenty of depth in their organization. They, they draft and develop talent very well. Um, so they have tons of ammo to basically get who they want. If they want to make a big splash, they can. If they want to do what the Braves did and just target, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a pile of uh, useful players, they can do that as well. So I, I agree with
1: you. I want to. I want to ask one last team, and then we'll get out of here because they're are they fourth in their division right now? Let me look quickly. That that has changed. I believe they're third. No, they're still fourth. I got to ask you about Boston. Um, obviously that division is worth talking about, and we've done it at nauseum. They're twelve and a half back from the Yankees. That's out of reach, but there's an MVP candidate endeavors that the pitching has rounded into form. I think they will be aggressive. I think they have to be aggressive. Is this a team worth watching right now? Or do you think they're just too far back to even consider it? And, and and will they be sellers versus buyers?
0: Um, I don't think they're sellers. I think the offense is too good. Um, expectations there are too high. I, I think they're, they're going to compete for a wild card spot. Um, again, the offense is too good and they have enough useful pieces in the rotation. I know Evaldi just went down with an injury, but um, you know, th- there's going to be some useful pitchers on the market that they, that might be able to be acquired cheaply, right? Like a Jose Quintana or something like that. Yeah. Um, If you, if you can maybe add one or two guy, you know, a really strong starter or two, two above average starters. um, And then you can, as we've talked about before, maybe other things like Tanner Houck, or Garrett Whitlock fall into place in the bullpen. Yeah. Um, you kind of kill simultaneously kill two birds with one stone there. And the offense is going to hang. They can hang with any other team in that league in that division, which, you know, Tampa and sorry, Toronto and the Yankees are, you know, two of the better offenses in the league. So that that's, you know, that's a strong statement.
1: I think they're going to be huge buyers like blockbuster buyers. And here's why. Hmm here's why a they're currently in the last wild card spot. So not only are they contending, they're there right now. They just have to hold off a couple of the teams we've talked about here so far. And I think they have the offense to do that right now. And you're right. There may be an arm away, but I think they want to go arm plus more offense plus reliever for sure. Because this could all blow up December 1st, completely blow up. I mean, Bogart's gone. They may be forced into a huge Devers trade Avaldi gone, uh, J.D Martinez gone. He's expiring. They could completely lose a handle on their top core over the next couple of months. if they don't fix this right now and try to keep some of these names around, I think they, they're going to be pressured to go all in, and I think their current place in the standings will help that right now. So I, And by the way, that's good for baseball. It's really good for baseball if Boston is, is in in any regard. So that's where I have them right now classified, one of the major surprise buyers over the next couple of weeks, and I think it might be worth the, worth the price, too. I like that. That's I like that a lot. All right, man. Keep with it. We'll uh, we'll look for your next betting spot in the in the Spot Track newsletter. For those of you who don't know, we have a newsletter now. We've been doing that for a couple of months, and every Friday, Dan has uh, basically a bet of the week. A lot of it's built around the Major League Baseball divisional races that we're talking about here. Sometimes it's just this guy's gonna mash a home run this weekend. Take on that. We'll flip the switch to the NFL divisions here shortly as well. Dan's been tracking all those numbers. And uh, it makes for a very interesting situations and some solid value betting. So good work by you, Dan.
0: Awesome. Thanks a lot.
1: All right. She's a senior Major League Baseball writer for The Athletic. She's been all over the place. Huge baseball, lots of great pieces, lots of great content. She's Britt Giroli. Britt, thanks for joining the show. Yeah,
2: of course. Thanks for having me.
1: You bet. Let's talk to Nationals. Um, I've been reluctant to have this conversation, especially as it relates to Juan Soto, because I think it's pretty much fake news right now, but the, the national situation is not, and it's kind of evolving in front of us. And the reason I want to do this now is the Steven Strasburg injury is just, it's just another element to this whole piece because it's another step backwards for a team that I think was trying to reboot on the fly. What's your your overall assessment of this team? Uh, not so much in 2022, but maybe for the next three to five years as it relates to Juan Soto.
2: Yeah, I think You know, obviously Juan Soto may not be here for the next three to five years. Um, So I think a lot of it depends on this rebuild that they're doing now and whether they can actually um, turn things around because this wasn't supposed to be a competitive season for them. But I don't think anybody saw them being this bad. And so I think, you know, you look at some of these younger guys, uh, Josiah Gray, Kiebert Ruiz, and you hope that they're going to be part of the future for the Nationals and that they're not going to go through a very long stretch of not being good. Um, Juan Soto wants to win, but as we've seen time and time again in Mm -hmm. sports, it's going to come down to the money. It's going to come down to whether the Nationals' ownership, the most likely new ownership, Mm -hmm. is willing to keep him here and at what expense? Because I think the people that say, well, they have to keep Juan Soto no matter what, look at the team right now. It has Juan Soto on it, and it's terrible. Uh, Look at the Angels with Mike Trout. You you really need to make sure that not only can you afford to pay Juan Soto, but you can surround him with good players as well.
1: Yeah, there's no question, and you kind of hit a bunch of the elements I was going to attack anyway. So let's just let's just stick here. You you mentioned three to five years. He's got two years of arbitration left. He has basically said out loud, and and anyone who follows the Scott Boras plan knows this is going to free agency. Let's just talk that specifically, Britt, because you you followed a lot of these players. We see what's happening with Aaron Judge the Shohei Otani situation is getting extremely interesting as well over the next couple of weeks here is, is getting to free agency still the best path for the player? Or do you believe that he should consider not, not an extension, but consider all of his options over the next 18 months, either staying or leaving this team?
2: Um, well, I'd be hard pressed to find an example where free agency isn't the best avenue. Um, I'm trying to think of really any scenario. Um, I think as a fan, if you're a fan, you certainly want them to stay and sign a cheaper deal. But if you're Juan Soto, are you going to sign an extension right now at the nationals? No, no. you know, so I think it's, it's kind of a moot point. Scott Boris is going to take this thing to free agency. It's going to go to the highest bidder. Um, you know, as a player, that's your right in baseball, we're under team control for so long that so many guys don't even get to free agency. So I respect anybody. Uh, who is who wants to test the, the waters, who wants to go through that process.
1: I very much agree in this regard. And, and I think Aaron Judge is doing the Major League Baseball Players Association a big, big service by going through arbitration like he's doing. And I'm excited to see what Juan Soto is going to bring in terms of those numbers over the next two seasons, arbitration-wise. Um, do you believe last year for Washington, the Trey Turner-Max Scherzer situation, regardless of what they brought back, because I do think they, they did bring back two or three key players out of those four prospects. Do you think that was the plan Or do you believe that the Strasburg situation, the Patrick Corbin situation, which has only spiraled downward, do you think that kind of forced their hand into Trey Turner moving last year?
2: I think just the way the team played um, forced their hand into kind of having that fire sale. I don't think you can blame it on one guy not performing. I just think the writing was on the wall when they won in 19. They were the oldest team in baseball. And, you know, you're seeing it this year with the Giants. It's really hard with an older team to replicate that kind of success, um, for multiple years. So I think it was necessary. And I think if Mike Rizzo didn't go all in, would be questioning, why did not he do more? Why didn't he have more of a fire sale? So as unpopular as it was, as tough as it was, uh, for fans to see that, I think they had to make those moves.
1: Yeah. I, I would agree to some degree. i I just hope it's the right decision. To, where's your, where's your take on superstar position player without pitching right now? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you mentioned the Angels. That's been their, their moniker for a decade here. It's still their problem. They had to find a hitter who could pitch to really kind of start to fix that problem. Do you believe that the Nationals can fix this in the next two years? Can they bring in enough talent? I know they've got some studs coming up. There's at least one that's kind of sitting there in Cade Cavalli, but I'm not sure he's going to be ready by 2023. Do you think there's a path for the Washington Nationals to get enough talent around Juan Soto to where a $500 million extension to stay will be worth his time?
2: Um, I don't, first of I don't think Juan Soto is signing an, ext- an extension. As, as we said, I think he's going to be a free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think that they're going to be better in two years? Um, yes, yeah, better than this, but this has really kind of been a, a bottom-out club. If yeah. you had told me that the Orioles would be better than the Nationals to start the season, I would have thought you were crazy, right? So um, I think that they have nowhere to go but up. But for me, it's all about the development. They've struggled for years to develop players, develop prospects. And they've really just gone out and bought guys. And you talk about the pitching. 119, well, when they won the World Series, you know, they bought Patrick Corbin. They bought Max Scherzer. They bought Annabelle Sanchez. Um, you know, The one guy who was homegrown, so to speak, is Steven Strasburg. And you know, he was a top pick. So there wasn't a whole lot of polishing that needed to get done. So to me, them getting better hinges on the player development and the farm system because we really haven't seen the Nationals have these late-round success stories or guys who come to D.C., and add five miles an hour to their fastball Mm -hmm. or, you know, get an uptick on their spin rate. We haven't seen that. And I think that's really what they're missing.
1: Okay. Last question for you. We'll get you out of here. Did the Mookie Betts situation at least intrigue Juan Soto or intrigue the Nationals? Maybe I should put it that way, because it's not going to be Juan Soto's decision, so to speak. When we get down to that point, they didn't take that route with Bryce Harper. They they let him basically stay at Washington National right to the very bitter end. They let him walk in free agency to the Philadelphia Phillies. For what I would imagine would be about the top price, is that going to be how this goes? Are they going to let I think Juan Soto remain a national for as very long as possible, or do you think this gets to a situation where Mookie Betts uh, type trade can get down get done?
2: I think it's impossible to answer because there's going to be new ownership, so mm. they're not trading him this July. I think everybody knows that. Right. But next year, I don't know. Could somebody else be in charge, and it would totally change my answer, right? I think it depends on. takes this team over and that's what's so fascinating about the nationals right now is their team in transition from the very very top down Um, you've got Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez who have options on on their contracts for next season that need to get picked up you've got an ownership group with one foot out the door and then you've got this superstar player and his fate kind of hanging in limbo so um, I think once we know who the new owners are we can start to maybe see how they're going to treat this and you know is trading Juan Soto a possibility down the road Of course it is. Uh, but it's going to depend again on who's calling the shots because many times owners fall in love with stars and they know that stars mm-hmm. sell tickets no matter what. So it could also be a case where owners come in and say, we're not trading him no matter what, even if we lose him. And that was certainly the case with Bryce Harper. Mike Rizzo wanted to trade him. The Lerner family stepped in and said, absolutely not.
1: It's great stuff. You can find around the athletic and certainly on Twitter as well. Britt, thanks so much for your time.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. One of the reasons I wanted to bring on was the crossover that she has. You mentioned the Orioles. She's done some work with the Orioles in terms of covering them. She's right. The Orioles are starting to take their step forward finally with some of these draft picks growing up, some of these smaller free agent signings starting to get done. As I mentioned on the last pod, they're just simply not spending enough money out to supplement that process. But that could be what happens this offseason. So as one team in that local D.C. area is maybe trending a little bit upwards, the Nationals are going to be moving backwards even more at this trade deadline, as Dan Soman and I will lay out for you in a piece coming up very, very shortly with at least two to three candidates from the Nationals on this list for for the August 1st trade deadline. Uh, Just some concluding thoughts from my spot here. I think that the Bryce Harper situation will be followed in Washington, regardless of whether it's Mike Rizzo, regardless of whether the learners are still there. And look, this is an ugly sale this is not going to be as quick and dirty and easy as the Mets were as the Broncos appear to be going with this, with the Walmart owner. Uh, There's baggage and it's not just, you know, what's on the field. It's not just a bad product on the field right now. There's a huge television deal hanging over this process. So when the nationals moved from Montreal, the Expos to the nationals in DC, there's a lot of rift between the Baltimore Orioles already being there, essentially right down the road. And now this being an actual DC team. Well, Part of that deal was, okay, you're going to latch on to the Baltimore Orioles mass and t- television contract. So there's basically a television ratings share, and there's been plenty of lawsuits, right? There's been a back and forth, a back and forth um, between you owe me this, you owe me this. Certainly, there's a contract in place, and it appears to be pretty ironclad. But here's the problem you know, there's cable cutting happening, there's a lot of losses in that regard. There's been some penny pinching happening with these broadcasts between the Nationals and the Orioles themselves specifically. A lot of uh, turnover, a lot of changeover. Are we sending people on the road anymore? A lot of cutbacks is my point. To the, to the degree of which Masson may have to be sold or bought out or, or, or merged or partnered up with. If that's the case, now does this new ownership coming in, purchasing from the learners for Washington, now do they A, try to separate themselves and have an exclusive television deal, which is massive, massive extent you know, expensive up front, but certainly can be fruitful down the road? Or do they have to buy into this Oriole situation, which, like I said, has been quite the headache for the, for the D.C., for the learners over the past many, many years here. So it's not just the Nats are worth 2000000000 billion. got to drop some cash and, and acquire this team and then maybe spend half a billion on Juan Soto. It's also this muddy, messy television situation. And, oh, by the way, Major League Baseball television as a whole is sort of messy. You know, they're bringing in some streaming services to try to supplement some of this income because the ratings are obviously flatlining, if not tanking in some markets, it's a very localized situation. And for the Nats to be not only local, but splitting their local situation is definitely a bit has been a headache and will be a headache unless this new ownership comes in and pays a lot of money to change that. So just wanted to throw that wrinkle into this, that it's not just the team is floundering, they're in a bit of a reboot, they have absolutely zero major league baseball ready pitching right now. And that will, will change to some degree over the next two years, but to what degree will it change? And then 200 million left for slash patrick Corbin, that's going to be basically dead weight. And then what happens with Juan Soto and his contract over the next two years? Certainly that's going to be the talk of the town for, for that entire time frame, because it sounds like Scott Boris, and, and I think Britt kind of complied with what I was saying. Scott Boris is going to free agency with Juan Soto. They, they, they can try to trade him, but wherever he lands up, <laughs> he's going to go to free agency. Unless and, like, unless, and I do think the Mookie Betts each situation can pique interest because you went to A, the best team, and the best team offered you at least fair value, if not top of the market money. So if that situation is available, right? If the Padres are one of the top five best teams in baseball at the time of this trade, and they acquire him, and they offer him 400 plus million. If the Blue Jays are one of the top five best teams in baseball and offer him 400 million, that could change. Then an internal cons- extension, in my opinion, could happen. But if not, if he sticks with Washington, if they refuse to trade him, and this goes down the Harper path, it's simply going to be about to take three or four offers, and it's going to be a bidding war, and we'll assess the rosters, and-, and maybe that'll matter to him a little bit. But I think Britt's right, and she sort of said that right out on the onset. It's going to come down to money, right? This guy's looking for historic, historic numbers. Scott Boris is always looking for historic numbers. So th- this is a waiting game. This is a waiting game. Unless the new ownership and the new GM comes in and says, are, are we on the same page? Let's do this. Other franchises have been able to flip their switch quickly by moving a player like this who is not a dominating 10 year starting pitcher ace. He is a great position player, an elite position player, but we have to start building from the ground up with our pitching staff. And this is a way to do it. We'll see. Got some time to figure that out for sure. All right. A special thanks to Britt for jumping on last minute here and joining the baseball conversation today. Check her out at The Athletic and on The Athletic Baseball Podcast pretty frequently. Good to talk to Cousin Dan about baseball. Good to talk to Cousin Dan about betting. That's kind of uh, his lifeline right there. If you put one plus two there, that's kind of Cousin Dan in a nutshell. And we will be back soon with another edition of the Spotlight Podcast.